was, uh, that was just a taste of it. I mean, it was incredible. So I want um, everybody that went to Acquire the Fire with us in here to stand up real quick just so you can see who, who went. If you went to Acquire the Fire. Uh, yeah. All right. Excellent. I asked. Yeah, good job. I asked a few of you guys to uh, just to come up here and share with you real quick what they experienced at Acquire the Fire themselves and how God um, just really touched them. So if um, if you uh, you know took my invite to come up here and share about Acquire the Fire, would you come up right now? Just uh, I think we had China, Indy. This is India Garcia. China, are you coming up too? Come on. Uh, what about you, amigos? No. All right. Well, um, who wants to start? This is Matthew, this is China, and this is Indy. Is that an Acquire the Fire hat? Okay. They were giving out hats like that. So I got one, too, just in case you need. But um, would you like to start? Yeah. Matthew, go for it, man. Bring it home, man. All right. Okay. Hi, I'm Matthew. If you do not know who I am, you have not been coming to this church for very long. Um. ATF was amazing for me. I've got, I've got this is the fourth year I've gone, and every year I go, it's it's it gets better and better, and it's just amazing experience for me, amazing encounter with God. Um, I was originally going to tell you about the whole event, but if I did, uh, I just have to pray and close, and then Pastor Jeff wouldn't get to preach at all, and you just all have to go home. <laughs> um, so I'm going to share with you a little bit about the worship for me. It was um, worship. Uh, um, for me, at ETF was just so incredible. Um, actually, there's so many people there that, um, like, if I were to take every seat in this sanctuary and line them up, this would be like one section out of nine sections that were totally full of youth who would come together and we would just praise God with all we had. Whoa! And um, when we, when the music would start, it was just like all nine sections. Well, all the backs, there's like front sections in front of the stand, stage, and then there's all these back sta- sections. As soon as the music starts, whoosh, all these kids just swarm to the front. And I spread out, if I were to spread out my arms, arms like this, this is about, in this, in this length of how long my arms are, there's about five youth. And so we're all trying to praise God. Yay! Oh, oh, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Praise you, Jesus. Oh, oh, I am so sorry. Hey, yeah. Sweat, and it's just the sweat, and teens just praising God with all we've got was so amazing. God, um, God's presence was just so there. It is amazing when you just come together and just with a humble heart, you just praise God with all you have. He is so present. And in fact, one of the, uh, at one point, the God's presence was just so thick, I could taste it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. You're amazing, God. And then it was just, it was incredible. It was like God's presence was just washing over us like a wave. I was like, oh, this feels so amazing. I mean, God is just so incredible. And I had an amazing year. And I just... I love God, and I love what he does in our life, in my life. Thank you. What were you challenged to, or would you go away challenged with? Um, challenged. Uh, um, well, the, if you all see the title, Normal is Not Enough, that was, um, the title itself is challenging. It's um, For me, I was challenged to rise above the level of mediocrity M- mediocrity average being oh, going with the flow going with what the today's crowd suggests you know oh this is okay you don't have to be a a fanatic christian that's for me i was challenged to rise above that to not just settle for coming to church every sunday going to youth group and just living my cri- barely getting by life i want to so i was challenged to um they actually talked about this a lot um, in the skit they did was a um, they were talking about there's this teen you know she was uh, one of those get saved in Sunday school at age 8 you know pray the prayer and then live and then go on with your life and then party Monday through Friday and then try to get sober Saturday and then go to church Sunday and that was kind of what her life and then all of a sudden these two Mission Impossible 
agents, neither of them were Tom Cruise, um, come and they tell her, you're not doing this. You joined God's team. You joined the agency, which is Christianity. You have a mission. Your mission is to go out and to share people about God's love and his, um, his love for people. And so I was challenged personally to stop just making excuses. Oh, you know, that person, I'll, I'll go tell them about Jesus tomorrow, you know, or I'm not ready or I don't know how to do it. Um, so I was challenged to go out and live my walk. or well, li- Yes, live my walk, live out my life, and share every opportunity that God gives me. Because God will give us opportunities to live out, to take the hold of every opportunity that God gives me and to um, share what God does for me and does for everybody. For all of us. Um, So, yeah. That's it. Ready for this? Yeah. (laughs) So, how did God impact you this that weekend? Um, God has impacted my life. um, Let's see. This is my first time going to ATF, and it was a different experience for me because. I wasn't um, with God like that, so just like, oh, I really never went to church, and so like. Oh, you're doing good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is awesome. So you got saved uh, recently, right? You gave your heart to Jesus recently, yes. and uh, what an experience! Yeah. 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 She's. <laughs> These guys are, have been such an inspiration in our youth group. Like they're so exciting. <laughs> like, and if you want to play sports, look out. Don't play with these guys because you're in trouble. Um, <laughs> they could throw a football. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, China, um, how did God impact your life this weekend? Well, he impacted me because he told me that like I have to stay on his mission, and I have to keep in contact with him. I can't just, like, talk to him once and then stop talking to him. But, yeah, that's how he changed me. Like, I haven't been talking to him lately, and now I have to, you know, keep in top contact. Wish I had him in my phone, you know, just call him up. <laughs> but, yeah. 411 if you need some information. Yeah. yeah. 911 <laughs> if, if it's an emergency. Help, I could just call yeah. him. But, yeah. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, Praise the Lord. Real quick, I wanted to say... Um, uh, India was the first one to respond to my call to stand before everybody and uh, give her a testimony about the weekend. So I just wanted to give her the, the poster from this weekend. It's been open and open. So I wish it could be more, but awesome. Guys, thank you so much again for what you what you did to support our youth group and um, continue to do so in prayer and stuff. If you look in your bulletin real quick, just a, a little plug. Um, we're, we're doing some caroling again this year. Every year we go out and we do caroling. Um, but this year we're going to try to do it as a fundraiser for uh, for some other events next year. We're looking at maybe going on a, on a going to a camp or maybe even going on a mission trip. So this will all be carried over into 2012. But we're going to be going... Um, going around doing some caroling, and we're going to be passing out a clipboard next weekend. Um, but if you want your name on the list for um, to have somebody for us to, to sing to and share some Yuletide teenage joy, <laughs> uh, just just give me a call here at the church. The phone number is on the bulletin there, okay? So thanks again for everything that you guys do for us. Okay? Be blessed. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. It's good to hear from these girls. Thank you. We're going to kind of shift here on your your chairs when you came in, there was a little folder. I hope you found that. It says Padina on it. <clears throat> this week is the, and last Sunday specifically, we're carrying into this Sunday, the the um, recognition of the international persecuted church. And uh, so I'm going to show you a video this morning, and then we're going to spend a little more time praying for those who are being persecuted for our faith. You're going to see the story of Padina's life here just briefly, so. Go right ahead. Thank you.
in Hebrews 13.3 that says, Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. We're one body. We may be distanced by geography. Um, I think fairly recent estimates tell us that about 1,200 <coughs> people per month are surrendering their lives for the name of Jesus. See, we, we have this comfort here this morning. So here's what I'm asking us to do, is to take our advantage of being connected to them in the body of Christ and pray. They've asked us to pray. The testimony that comes out of persecuted countries is we knew when we were being prayed for. We, we can't use your money. We can't use your passports. We can't use your stuff. We're in prison. But we know that when we're persecuted and we have this extreme peace and the ability to sustain our, our testimony under, under this kind of adverse condition and torture, we know that it's because somebody's praying for us. So for the next couple of minutes, we're going to rewind this a little bit and put it back, and you can just sit where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to pair up. I just want to ask you to pray. You can pray out loud. You can disturb the person next to you. It's not a problem. We're going to play the music over and pray. And let me suggest a couple of things to pray if you don't know what to pray for. One, pray that your and my heart will be sensitized to the need, that we won't become dull, that we won't become detached, that we won't become uh, disinterested. Pray God will help us be sensitive to the body of Christ around the world, even though we don't see it very often. Two, pray for someone specifically. You may not know their name, but there are lots of padinas and moms. There are lots of those in Chinese prisons. Chinese pastors... When they talk with each other, this is what I've heard. They ask each other, how many years have you spent in prison? And if the, if the pastor says, I've never been in prison, they said, then you don't qualify yet. Because in China, if you actually share your faith, you become public, you will go to jail. And so they qualify the pastors by how long they've been in prison. And we've heard testimonies about pastors in prisons of 300 or more population ending up leading all the prisoners to Jesus and then asking them, pray for me to be transferred to another prison because there are others who need to hear. How will they hear unless somebody is sent to them? And the only way to be sent to them is to be incarcerated with them. And so they see it as a privilege to go into difficult situations and present the gospel. Amen? You understand? We with it? Okay, so there's a couple things you pray for. Go ahead. And let's just play this song part, and we'll pick it up where she's testifying for Jesus. And you just spend some time praying, okay? وقتی که جواب و سری گرفتیم دکتر گفتش که فقط میتونم بگم یه معجزه شده چون هیچ اثری از بیماری ام اس نیست. چه جوری میشه شما خودتون گفتین که ایشون ترمینال داشت میمونه. یه معجزه است و به یه امام دعا کردین شما کجا نشون دادین؟ چون این شب یک معجزه است. این یک معجزه است. ما اصلا به هیچ امامی دعا نکردیم به ایسای مسیح دعا کردیم
us from your word. Send them to our friends the answers we've asked in Jesus' name. Keep us sensitive, Lord, to the things that are most important in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll notice, if you'd like to participate with Voice of the Martyrs specifically, this is a little reply card on the back of this. <clears throat> if you want to fill that out and drop it in the mail, they'll pay the postage for you. And they also have a free gift you can select one of three things there that they will send to you. Um, you notice on the back there's a picture of Richard uh, and Sabina Warmbrand who founded Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, I was telling the guys at the prayer meeting last night that what a privilege it was for me to have Richard Warmbrand preach in Big Bear Christian Center back in the early 70s. I had no idea who I was standing next to. I was just a teenager and shook his hand and could barely understand his Romanian accent and had no idea what the men had really been through. I was just a teenager, you know, just kind of disconnected from that stuff. It's like, oh, there's some guy preaching at church. Had no idea. He'd been in prison 14 years or more, persecuted for his faith. And, and here he was traveling around the United States sharing his testimony and exposing the persecution of the church in other countries. And so, God, forgive me for not being more aware. May we be continually connected to the body of Christ. There are a few copies of the Voice of the Martyrs on the table outside, too. If you'd like to take one of those with you, please do. Did we already start this thing? Okay. Well, welcome to the middle of the recording. <clears throat> How y'all doing as far as health-wise? You getting over it? takes a couple of weeks on this one for some of us. Definitely has for me. This morning we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about the Big Bear Christian Center value statement. And that may sound a little mundane or academic to you, and I hope it will not be by the time we're finished. You see, there's some truths that we have to realize and Little sentences help me remember things. One of them goes like this. You cannot successfully change a structure until you change a value. You will not change a behavior until you change a value. Let's take a simple one. Yeah, I like quitting smoking. That's simple. I did it five times. And uh, it wasn't until my value changed that I had any desire to not do it any longer. I remember inhaling one day and God giving me a visual of the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. And I knew that my body was a temple of the Holy Spirit and that he dwelt within me and God himself had taken up residency. And when I inhaled, all I could see was God going, <laughs> and I thought, how rude. I wouldn't even do that to a friend in the flesh. And my value shifted. It was no longer, was it right or wrong? Was it morally incorrect? Would it kill me or not? None of those things mattered. What mattered was I was offending God with this. And my value shifted, and then I prayed a sincere prayer. I said, God, remove this from me. And the next day, I was smoke-free. One day, after quitting five times on my own, God came, shifted my value, and gave me his strength and power to be delivered from that simple addiction. It goes to lots of other things. That's just my simple illustration this morning. There's another little statement you've probably heard. It says, we do what we value, and we value what we do. It's simple, but it sticks for me. I realize that when I see myself going about my life, the things that I'm participating in, these are the things I value. And the things that I go and make time for and slot into my schedule and go and do those things, I'm saying this is what I value. I do what I value, and I value what I do. As you're part of this congregation, I think it's important for us to know together that what we belong to, you know, we belong to the body of Christ. We talk about that regularly. We need to know what it is we believe kind of corporately together. What, what do we hold as a guide for the decisions as a corporate body, as a congregation? What are the things that point us in the right direction? What do we agree upon 
and, uh, and that would help us also decide, well, why would I want to be a part of this group of believers? There's lots of groups of believers in this community, but why would I want to be a part of this one? And so as we uh, go through this value statement today, I'm hoping to give you something to hang on to, who we are, what we believe, why we're going the direction we're going, and what motivates us, what holds us in place. We've been preaching on this for the last eight weeks or more, and we've taken one topic each week uh, and, and used it as a message point. I'm going to take all eight of those this morning and give them back to you one more time. You ready? And I want you to get your Bible in your lap. You're going to have to keep up. I didn't put the scriptures on the wall, maybe the titles or the addresses, but if you're going to keep up, you're going to have to be flipping pages with me. And I intend to do this quickly. And I know, you know, I know Pastor Jeff lives by his intentions, doesn't he? I intend to do this quickly this morning. Number one, the Bible is our authority. There's a sentence that I've written. Did that, did that sound right? I wrote a sentence. There's a sentence that I have written. I think that's correct English. At least I try to be. It goes like this, and I'll just read the whole thing once, and then we'll take it apart. The Bible is our authority. Prayer is our means. Dependency upon God is our posture. Restoring relationship between man and God is our passion. Love is our motive. Service to God and others is our expression. His promise to return is our urgency. And to hear, to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, is our goal. The first point is the Bible is our authority. And I'll read what you'll probably see behind me. The Bible is inerrant and will be our final authority for truth, ministry, and life. We should agree to hold each other accountable for obedience to the Bible as an expression of the lordship of Christ in our lives. This is what I like about our life groups. It's a place for holding one another accountable. You can't just live any way way you want all the time, slip in here on Sunday morning, slip out, and nobody ever know what's going on in your life. You get into a life group and a small community of believers that represents the community of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you spend time together, and not it won't be long. Everybody knows your, your stuff. And, uh, and they know when you're doing well and when you're not doing well. And when you walk in and your face is a little pale, and they go, whoop, that one's in trouble. And we begin to pray one for another and live it out. We should agree to hold each other accountable for obedience to the Bible as an expression of the Lordship of Christ in our lives. What Scripture says, God says. And what God says in Scripture is to be the rule of faith and life in His church. Scripture, God's written word, is the final authority for all matters of Christian faith and practice. Second Peter 1 says that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness in the knowledge of Christ through his word. You know, the English and American Puritans said things like this. William Perkins said, The word of God must be our rule and square, whereby we are to frame and fashion all our actions. And according to the direction received thence, we must do the things we do or leave them undone. John Lightfoot said, This is the glory and sure friend of a church to be built upon the Holy Scriptures. The foundation of the true church is God, of, of the true church of God is Scripture. Cotton Mather said, The rule according to which conscience is to proceed is what God has revealed in the sacred Scriptures. William Ames said, It is the perfect rule of faith and morals. The Bible is our authority. Now, we spent time talking about it in the service weeks ago, and the and the discovering the truth of where we got the Bible, how it was transmitted to us, why we can trust it. All those things still are in place. The Bible is trustworthy. I remember getting up against people, and they say, you know, there are errors in the Bible. Did you know there are errors in the Bible? I said, oh, no. You can't be true. Uh, I said, in fact, I do know that. In fact, I know how many, which was a shock. Because everybody wants to say there's mistakes, but nobody wants to count them. There are over 150,000 errors in our English manuscript Bible. Does that shake your faith? Let me finish it this way. An error in the transmission of Scripture could be that one writer forgot to cross a T, and another writer crossed it. And so they go, oh, there's a mistake. They didn't agree. A little dot over an I, or a comma, or a capital. And when you take all 150,000 plus errors that are known to be in our transcripts today, not one of them changes the meaning of the Bible. Not one. So I'm not afraid to say there are errors in the Bible. Of course there are. It's been transmitted by humans. 
We make mistakes. But God has preserved his word alone and has made sure that no meaning and no instruction that he left for us is ever to be altered. We can count on the Bible. It's our truth for life. That's it for that one. I have two more pages on that one, too. we got to go to prayer is our means is number two. I told you I'm going to go quick. Okay? I'm going to go quick. Prayer is our means. I thought prayer is our means. You cannot approach this topic without approaching the prayer life of Jesus. Think about it just for a moment. If you had no other foundation to go to, you say, what about the prayer life of Jesus? Jesus said openly. He stated he's the son of God. He is God himself. And he said anything came out of his mouth was truth, correct? He said, I don't do anything I don't see my father in heaven doing. And I don't say anything that I don't hear my father in heaven saying. The words of Jesus are accurate to the father's heart. Those things that have been transmitted to us are truth and we can count on it. So what do we see? The life of Jesus. He said, get up early in the morning, go out to a place before the sun came up. And sometimes the disciples had to go look for him. Why? Where was he? He was out praying. Are you telling me the Son of God had to take time to talk to the Father God? Yes. Yes. Where does that leave me and you? Or should I say, you and me? It leaves us in a very same place. Prayer is our means. See, in our culture, we're trained a lot of ways. One is to say that we can depend on ourselves. One is to say I can depend on my finances. Ooh, that changed in the last couple of years. The truth is we cannot make anything happen. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Most of you shouldn't have to turn here. But because we have some that might need it, and you've got your Bibles in your laps, Matthew 7. Verse 7. Jesus is speaking. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. John 14, 14. This is a powerful, powerful sentence from the Lord Jesus himself. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. Did he mean that? Well, didn't we just conclude that every word that came out of the mouth of Jesus is truth? And if Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, he was not joking. He was not misleading. He was not giving an optional statement for some and not for others. He was being concrete and conclusive. Across the page, 15.7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, there are some conditions we need to meet. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. E.M. Bounds, one of the great prayer leaders of all time, said to God and to man, the answer to prayer is the all-important part of our praying. The answer to prayer, direct and unmistakable, is the evidence of God's being. It proves that God lives, that there is a God, an intelligent being, who is interested in his creatures and who listens to them when they approach him in prayer. There is no proof so clear and demonstrative that God exists than prayer and its answer. This was Elijah's plea. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God. The answer to prayer, think about it, the answers to prayer that you receive is the part of prayer that glorifies God. Right? It doesn't glorify our prayer life. It glorifies the one who can bring the answer. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, and we, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Prayer is our means. God does nothing. One man said, God does nothing except in answer to believing prayer. Now, there's a discussion for your life group. God does nothing except in answer to believing prayer. That means our, our process, our possibility for obtaining anything in this life, whether jobs, finances, friends, marriage, children, whatever we're looking for, prayer is the place to start. You can do nothing more than pray until you have prayed. We use these phrases regularly to remind ourselves that prayer is real. God is real, and the answers glorify him. We should be praying more. I think if we, uh, they say you can go into church if you don't know what to preach, preach on prayer because everybody will be convicted. Have you ever heard that? So if you're ever invited to preach or share, uh, pick the subject of prayer, and then, you know, say, we probably don't pray enough, do we? And everyone will agree with you. How to win a crowd. But I'm not saying we have to put this shadow over ourselves and say, if we don't pray enough, we ought to pray more. Come on, do more, do more, do more, do more. Prayer is like life. Prayer is like breathing. It is who we are. Always, constantly. So pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, how do we do that? We just do it like breathing. Include God in our constancy in our life. Speak to him about everything. And don't be afraid. He can see you in the shower, and he's not ashamed. The next point, dependency on God is our posture. Dependency on God is our posture. I don't know for you what comes to mind, but for me, this always comes to mind when I think about being dependent upon God as a posture. Second Chronicles chapter 20. It says that it happened that, it, that the people of Moab, the people of Ammon, and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. He was outnumbered. This king was about to be obliterated by a group of nations coming against him. The people groups were larger and stronger than him. And uh, what did they do? Verse 5 says, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he began to pray. Lord God, you see this. They're bigger than us. They're stronger than us. They're going to wipe us out. We're in big trouble. Disaster's coming. Here we are. He gets down to verse 12, our verse 12, and he says, Oh, our God. Will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is come against, coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. This is, a, for me, a depiction of the posture of dependency. Dependency on God should be our posture when we get up in the morning. We realize that we didn't take a breath unless he granted it to us today. We're not sitting here by anything other than his grace and his mercy. How many times should you have already been dead by this point in your life? Come on, think about it. I know I've, I should have been found in a ditch years ago with a needle hanging out of my arm or some overdose or some malady or some accident. I've been in car th- situations where, uh, and I've told those stories here before, where driving down the wide road in Moon Ridge and hit a patch of ice and my car sliding sideways on black ice, and the only thing in my view is one of those big asphalt rollers. And I'm thinking, that thing is not going to move. My prayer was not, oh, Lord, I feel very dependent upon you right now. I did not have time. I just said, Jesus! And my car went, boop, straightened right out. And I saw that thing go by my window. Had it not changed, well, I sure wouldn't be talking to you this morning. Because my side of the car would have hit first. I've been in more of those than I care to count. And I know that I'm only here by the grace of God. There's a dependency that we have to acknowledge every day. My life comes from you. If I don't derive my life from you today, it's not going to be life at all. In fact, a a day without talking to God, a day without depending on him, is like a boastfulness against him, if you think about it. It's saying, I could do it myself. I've done that too. Myself doesn't get very far. I like this statement. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And the latter part of this chapter is so exciting. Read it when you get home. 
uh, what happens? The prophet speaks up in the midst, says, you don't have to do anything. God's going to fight for you. And they put the singers out front of the army, and they start worshiping God, and the musicians are right behind them playing their stuff, and the army's in the back marching along. And they get to the point of the cliff, and they look over, and all their enemies have spent the whole night killing each other. And it takes them three or four days just to go down and collect the leftovers and haul the spoil home. They didn't have to fight. They worshiped God first. They said we are dependent. Dependency beyond God is our posture. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The throne room is open. Prayer is our means. If we come in a dependent place and say, God, I see the doors open to the throne room. I'm going to come in and display my dependency upon you. I have a time of need. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And he says, come boldly. I made the way open to you. Every day you can come. Every moment you can come. And you can depend on me. I will not let you down. Some of us are very familiar with Proverbs chapter 3. Some of you could quote it for me. Verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Well, there's a key right there. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Declare your dependency upon him, and he shall direct your paths. That's what I need today. I need him directing my paths. Even if it's the car down the road, if it's the where I'm going to shop. I, I've heard the ladies talk about this. I'm amazed by this, you ladies. All that, all the girls just looked up at me. What is he going to say? I've heard them pray for anointed shopping. I heard this. You've prayed that. My goodness. I first heard that. I thought, is this ludicrous? Is this sacrilege? What is this? But I'll pick on Peggy just slightly. She's told me that she said, God, I need anointed shopping today. She can walk into a store, and it's full of people and full of stuff, and she glances around, and as she's walking out, her eyes will direct to the bottom shelf of a thing way over there, and she'll go over there and find exactly what she wanted on sale with a triple discount or something. I've become a believer that God cares about everything. And if we declare our dependency on him, he will direct our paths. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path, even to the bottom rack at a triple discount. Hallelujah. Why couldn't he do that? He's got somebody else that he's gotten a job who's making those things to get them on the shelves. He's got somebody else he blessed with the position to be there to sell it to you. He's got a kingdom business working, and he's got us involved in it. But will we declare our dependency upon him? John 15, verses 4 and 5 says classically, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You cannot bear fruit outside of me. It isn't possible. Go out here to any tree, cut off a branch, and see if it's still there tomorrow or the next day, right? It's not. It withers. It dies. We have to be in the vine. We are his children. Think about it. When you fill out your tax forms, what what are the questions they ask you? How many dependents in your household? When God fills out his tax forms, which I'm sure he has to because the IRS spells their name G-O-D, that's who they think they are. There's probably a form. So how many dependents do you have? He says, about three billion. I'm his child. We're all direct offspring. We're not second, third generation. He, he gives us being born again into his family personally and intimately and says, you're mine. And I can declare honestly before the IRS, I am his dependent. I'm his child. Restoring relationship between God and man is our passion. Think about this with me, will you? We are the blind man. I am the blind man whose sight was restored. Ours is the song, Amazing Grace. Because we used to be lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. I remember we sang that song in church not long ago, just before Donna Day testified to the goodness of her cataract surgery and how that she could see again. And I thought, how appropriate. 
She was blind. Now she can actually see the words. It was fitting in the moment, but it's true. All of us were blind. And now we see. We were lost, but now we're found. We are all the demoniac at Gadara. Delivered in our right minds. And he says, Jesus, I want to go with you in the boat. I want to go wherever you go. I'm, I'm so excited about my new life. And Jesus says, no, you stay here. And go tell all the people that know you the good things that God has done for you. And that man went back into a place called Decapolis. Ten cities. And they all knew he was the crazy man out in the cemetery. Couldn't be bound with chains. Running around naked. Screaming, demon possessed. Now he's in his right mind and clothed and testifying to the goodness of God. Listen. Restoring relationship between God and man should be our passion. We've been restored. Why not somebody else? Luke 19.10 says, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his mission. When he comes to earth, he's looking for what's lost to restore it to his Father. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Anybody excited about that for yourself? Oh, I'm glad old things are passed away. I'm glad that these things are new. But then right after that, he says, and now we've been made the ambassadors of Christ. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, he is living his life in us and causing us to go to others to say to them, be reconciled to God. You need to be friends with Jesus. And restoring relationship between God and man becomes our passion. There are two other scriptures. Go ahead and throw them up there. I'm going to keep moving. Luke 12, 16 to 21. I say, you know, what's valuable here? Luke can look that one up. But you all are probably familiar with the story of the prodigal son. Right? Where? What was important? At the end of the story, he's talking, the father's talking to the older son who had never left, and he says to him, his son's complaining. How come, you know, you never gave me one of these fatted calves and all these parties and stuff? I, I stayed here. I was faithful. I served you. He said, son, don't be upset. Listen, my son, your brother, who was dead to us, has been restored to us alive. That's worth shouting about. What's important? People coming back into a living relationship with the Father. That story tells us that. This is our passion. You know, the passion of restoring relationship between people and God has to begin at your house. It begins at home. The passion has to be at home first. You can't go out and win the world and miss your family. I like the little saying. It was on one of our posters around here for a long time, a picture of a lighthouse. And underneath it, it said, the light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. It's got to work at our house first. We've got to evangelize our own families. We have to make sure our children grow up knowing Jesus. That was the primary effort in our home. We wanted to make sure not one of our own children was lost, but they would all know Jesus. So we made them pray the sinner prayer every day for years. No, we didn't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're all serving the Lord. Maybe better than we do. What makes these things happen? Love is our motive. This has been recent. We talked about this in Matthew 22, 37 through 39 is that classic part. What are the two great commandments? The boy, the the young man asked Jesus. And uh, Jesus says, well, the first one is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is to be our motive. In all that we do, we should do it out of love. 1 John 4, 7 through 11, there's a classic thing. We learned it as a song as kids. It said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loves knows God and is born of God. He that does not love does not know God. We are commanded by Jesus, the new commandment, love one another. There are over, uh, what is it, over 35 Some want to go as high as 50. I've got a list right here in the back of my Bible, handwritten, of what we call the one another scriptures. Love one another. Pray for one another. Forgive one another. Bear one another's burdens. It goes on and on and on. We could read some more here. 
Wash one another's feet. Prefer one another. Be same-minded towards one another. Edify one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I'll meet you at the door. Some of you will go out the back. Kind to one another. Speak to another one another. And, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Do it how? We've got to do it by love. What does John 3.16 tell us? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His motive to us was love. And then we become born again. We're his offspring. And he says, now act like me. Be like me. Let me live my life out through you. Isn't it true what Paul the Apostle said in Galatians 2.20? He said, I'm, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm alive. But it's not me that's living. It's Jesus that's living his life out through me. And as he's doing that, I'm living this life by the faith of the very Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's not me anymore. It's Jesus in me. Well, what does Jesus do? He loves people. His motive is love. He's never, he said, God didn't send me into the world to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. Jesus is always compelling people to come to him by love. Remember that next time you're driving. To give you an opportunity to love your enemies, which is the other driver. Isn't it amazing that the what is it, the idiots are in front of us? And who's behind us? We're driving. You don't do that? I'm the only one. All the idiots are out in front of me. Look at that idiot. All the guys behind me are maniacs. The only guy on the whole road that's sane is me. I'm in the middle. The next point, service to God and others is our expression. I don't know if you'll see this the way I would hope you would, but I tend to see us like a flower. As the whole body of Christ, like this flower, it comes up and it has an expression. It has a fragrance. It has an appearance. It's lovely to look at. It's, it's, it's inviting. That's how we're supposed to be. And what makes us this fragrance, what makes us this, this uh, likability, what makes us lovely to look at, it's that we're serving one another. It's that we're serving God and that we're serving others. We're not just serving God and leaving it at that. We're finding a way to translate this vertical relationship that we have with the Maker and our Creator and our Restorer and our Redeemer. We're finding a way to take that and move it horizontally to help others. We talked about this. Wherever Christianity goes and people really get saved, born again, and their lives are transformed, things begin to change in their community. Hospitals are built. Uh, ministries of mercy are formed, uh, reaching out to the poor, the lost, the, the, the hurting, the leper, the outcast of society. It happens because love is a motive. And the next thing that has to happen is I have to find a way to serve. In John chapter 13, Jesus, we talked about this recently, washed his disciples' feet, got up, put away the towel and the bowl, and he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? Nobody answered smart group. And Jesus is talking. Let's let him finish. He said, today I have given you an example. Well, what's an example? Is an example a model for what you should do, what I should do? Isn't it a demonstration of how to? When I go to work for somebody else and they say, this is what we're going to do today, and I've never done it, I want them to show me. Give me an example. Show me the end product. Give me a chance to do it the way you want it done. Let me try and be completely satisfying to you as the one who's showing me, give me an example. So there's the example. Okay, I'm going to do it that way. Jesus said, I served you. You call me Lord. You call me Master. And you're right because I am. And yet this is what I've done to you. I've knelt down and washed your feet. If I've done this to you, then you should do it for others. And he wasn't just focusing on washing feet. He was focusing on serving God and others. And at the end of that passage, Jesus concludes by saying this. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. I could read it another way. If you know these things and you don't do them, unhappy are you. You know any unhappy people? Just pick them up. Say, we're going to Loma Linda for the day. We're going to go walk through the University Medical Center. We're going to go to the pediatrics department. 
We're going to visit families whose children are very, very ill. We're going to spend time praying for people who are about to lose a teenager. And you will come out of there with a different perspective. I will guarantee you, if you've never done it, and you ever have a bad day, just say, I'm going to go. I've stood in the hallways at Loma Linda University Medical Center with families from out of country who couldn't barely speak English, and I would try to communicate my best with them in Spanish. I asked them, what are you doing here today? Well, our daughter, Jessica, is here. We're from Brazil. The whole hallway is filled with Brazilians. Uh, how did they get into the country? As I'm talking to them, they send the point person, the dad, over. And he and I weep together in the hallway because he says, if this doesn't work, it's the end of her life. We've tried everything. How old is Jessica? 12, 13. You feel it, don't you? What do you do in that moment? I'm not a doctor. I can't fix her. But I know the King of Kings. And I know the Lord of Lords. And I know prayers are means. I know love is my motive. I know that service to God and others is my opportunity. I said, well, if you'll allow me, I'd like to pray with you. The Bible says if two would agree as touching anything on earth, our Father in heaven will do it for us. How do you feel about that? Tears streaming down his face. Yes. The family gathers, and I've got a whole bunch of new friends. And we pray. God, restore. God, do the miracle. God, touch these people who are the physicians in this place who also call upon your name and their desire is to manifest the truth of your healing power. Use them today in Jesus' name. Why can't we serve others so simply? Get outside ourselves and learn how to do it. Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> I'm not, I, can't, I don't have eyes in the back of my head, so I have no idea if I'm keeping up with my own PowerPoint. Well, Luke chapter 6, verse 27. I wrote down here, tall orders from Jesus. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and, and from him who takes away your goods, don't ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. These are tall orders. These are big things. It's not hard to like my friends. It's tougher to love your enemies to this degree. Amen? Call orders from Jesus. Service to God and to others, even as far as to your enemies, is our expression. It's what makes us smell good. It's what makes us look good. It's what makes us presentable in the earth. It is us bringing the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, to bear in the situation where we live. The last two points. His promise to return is our urgency. John 14, verses 1 to 3, Jesus tells us something that sometimes we forget about unless we happen to be at a funeral because this is where it gets used a lot. Let your heart, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is the Son of God speaking truth, telling us a promise. I'm going to go build something. I'm going to get it ready for you. When I've got yours done, I'll come get you. I'm going to take you there to be with me forever. Jesus is preparing our eternity even now. The eternity may be the furthest thing from our minds, but Jesus is getting yours ready. And his promise is to come back again. We know that he's going to come for everybody at one time. There's going to be a second appearing of Jesus 
We call it the second coming. It's talked about in Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, the descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. And those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. The Bible tells us this. And Paul the Apostle says, so comfort each other with these words. It's going to happen. He's coming. Mark chapter 13, 32 to 37. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you don't know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, and what I say to you I say to all, watch. Watch. Be ready. His return is a promise. It will not be late. For some of us, his return will be personal. Right? You know what I mean? You're going to go to be with him before he comes to get everybody else. You're going to be among the dead in Christ to rise first thing. Anybody afraid of it? Good. Don't ever fear death. Death's a promise. You know, it's a transition. It's a movement from here to there. Hallelujah. And I'm never coming back in the flesh. <laughs> I don't know. That's, I'll get off on a tangent. Sorry. It should be an urgency. Luke chapter 19 is the parable of the minas. As they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Jesus knew that it would, the kingdom of God would come now, but not yet, that there was a longer period until his final rule would be in place. And so he says to them this parable, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minas and said to them what? My version says, do business until I come. The rest of the parable tells how they did business and what they got in return for their work. And he came back and he held an accounting and... Uh, talked to them about what they had done and, and then took away the one from the unfaithful servant. We know the rest of the story, perhaps, if you don't read it this afternoon, read it this week. But his promise is, I am going to go away, but I am coming back. There should be an urgency about what we're thinking about on a daily basis. It gets hard. I understand. I don't get up every morning going, oh, I need to be urgent today. It doesn't happen like that for me. I have to focus my attention. You have to focus your attention. When we're reading the Bible and feel the compassion that's necessary to be thankful and say, I was lost, but I'm found. Why shouldn't I tell somebody else? Ed was saying a while ago, hold up a Starbucks card and say, hey, who wants this? How many people would mug him for that? Why? Well, it has an immediate tangibility that we might all appreciate. But when we talk about heaven and salvation, it's down there. It gets out of view. I can walk past my neighbors and say, oh, I'll get to them later. And then you come home from work one day and the ambulance is out front and you realize you missed your opportunity. And they may never know Christ. And that's eternal. That never ends, whether it's heaven or hell. How many memorial services or funeral services do we have to do where we walk to this podium or some other podium and we're supposed to tell the family everything's wonderful and they're all in a better place, but we don't know. Oftentimes we're called on to do services we, we did not know the departed. And we, we search around, we poke the family, try and be as ginger and gentle as we can to find out, does anybody know if they were saved? Are they going to heaven? And you hear random thoughts. Well, you know, and then they tell you about their life. You go, doesn't sound like a Christian to me. You know, the stuff they did and the things people t- testify about in public, well, they, you know. And then I'm supposed to come up and read a bunch of Scripture and tell them all it's wonderful. Can't do it all the time. You know where I focus, by the way? At that point, I say something nice about the departed, something that they all agree with, and then I give them the Scripture and say, listen, this is your chance today. You're here. You've got a chance to make a decision. Too late for Charlie. He's already checked out. You and I are here. What are we going to do about it? There's an urgency. Tomorrow we could be in the box. We'd be all gathering about you. What would we say then? The one thing you want to be able to say is they went to heaven beyond a shadow of a doubt. We need an urgency. 
He gives out the minus. He gives us our talents. He gives us our ability. He says, now do business till I get back. Occupy. I like the old King James says, occupy. Expand the kingdom. Take ground. Do something. Be specific. And finally, his promise to return. I'm sorry, to hear, to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant is our goal. We always refer to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, where it talks about this very specifically, and we lift the phrase out of those verses. Jesus says, I was hungry, you fed me. I was, I was in the hospital, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to take care of me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I, I needed a house, you gave me a place to stay. Well, Lord, when did we see you like in all those conditions? And when did we ever take care of you like? If you've done it to the least of one of these, you've done it to me. Wow. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. There's a whole teaching in there. It's very theological. Good. I don't know that I would consider myself good except for Christ in me. It talks about our character. It talks about his righteousness. Faithful, I have a part to play. There's a, there's a word there that says I did something regularly and purposefully, and I remained true to it until I was finished. Paul the Apostle said, I've run the race, I've fought the fight, I've kept the faith. And henceforth for me has laid up a crown of righteousness. And not just for me alone, but for all those that love his appearing. All of those who have an urgency about it coming back and want to be found good and faithful. Let us mark this for ourselves. In the story, in the parable, in the account that Jesus gives us, there are sheep and there are goats, right? And he'll say to the ones on his left, and he'll say to the others on his right, he'll turn to the one on his right and say, well done, good and faithful servant. To the others, he has to say, not so good, not so faithful. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. There's a choice to be made about how we're going to live. There should be a goal in our heart and in our mind. If I think too deeply about it, let me just say it because I don't want to cry all over you. But there's something inside of me when I hear this phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, that lights me up. I don't have any pride about it. I can't do it on my own. Paul the Apostle, I agree with him, says in me dwells no good thing. There's nothing in here of value except Jesus living in me. And this stuff... The life of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit living out through me. Him taking possession of what I gave him when I committed my life to him. When you committed your life to him. That's our only hope. And it's by grace alone that I will ever hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's by his mercy. But I do have some responsibility. I do have choices to make every day on whether I will be good and whether I will be faithful. I have no idea how long that took, but I know it took longer than I planned. I did it as fast as I could. But this is a statement that I thank you. Well done. <laughs> this is a statement. And, and I, I got in such a hurry, I didn't even let you say it once. So can we have the last slide up and let's read it out loud together? I was going to make you do it all the way through. And uh, because I don't have a screen like you do, I forgot. See, there I go again, being very imperfect. Say it with me. The Bible is our authority. Prayer is our means. Dependency on God is our posture. Restoring relationship between God and man is our passion. Love is our motive. Service to God and others is our expression. His promise to return is our urgency. To hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, is our goal. You know that probably less than 2% of all people in our country, maybe even in the world, have any kind of written plan for their life. I could say, do you have a written plan for your life? How many of you have written goals? How many of you have written down where you're headed and what you're here for and what you're doing about life? Probably not many of us in this room would have anything written out. So what I'm offering you is something that's written out. I'm offering you at least a place to start. I'm offering you the opportunity to see that we together have these values and we're going to make decisions, we're going to live by them, we're going to make choices, and this is going to be at least something we can hold on to together and say, you know what, I'm part of a group of people who love Jesus and have some very specific things to focus on. 
and I can agree with them. And if you disagree with them, write it differently. <laughs> Bring me your copy. I think it's pretty well done. And I think the principles that can flow from these statements will help us know how to live day to day. So, Father, I pray that you'll begin even now to put this into our heart, that it won't just be words on a page and it won't be a structural change, but it'll be a value shift. Holy Spirit, breathe life into these words, your words. Take what we've said here this morning. Make sense of it for each one of us. Press it into us. Help us to be the good and faithful servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, they didn't get handed out, so what I'd like a couple of helps uh, on the back. There's a stack of single one-third sheets out there in a rubber band that has this statement on it, okay? I had them out before. We made extra copies for this morning. Would you please take one with you, put in your Bible, or read it, memorize it, you know, make it like a John 3.16 challenge. See if you can uh, memorize it. And Jim's got them right there. Uh, if he gets lost in the crowd, you'll get past him, but see him right there. You can't. He's just that little guy right there with the jeans on. You just <laughs> get one of those before you go. Hand them out, please, and and let's take it forward. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.